0: You all seem so far away tonight. <laughs> it's good to see those that have come back out this evening. Um, appreciate that. Uh, to Come back out and worship our God. Um, men, there will be a men's business meeting after the services tonight, so please make your plans to stay for that. I assume the ladies will probably be meeting as well. Um, but... Uh, just wanted to make sure. I, Tim, if you already announced that, I apologize for stepping on your toes. <laughs> um, this passage of Scripture that Mo read for us I think is an important one. And of course, we look at this passage of Scripture and we always look at it, I think, in terms of uh, doing good works so that our Father in Heaven is glorified. And I think it's a, that, that is a proper way of looking at this passage of Scripture. But I also think there's something a, a little deeper here. And what we're being told is that we should be different. We should stand out from the rest of of the world. And so tonight what I'd like to do is I'd like to look at just uh, four ways that as Christians we should be better. And maybe maybe we'll find application to our lives tonight um, through these four points. So the first one is, is, as Christians we should be better employees. You know, as Christians, we should be willing to give an honest day's work for an honest day's pay. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 23 says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. So here, this principle that we're being taught here is that we ultimately work for God. He is our boss. He is who we're trying to win approval from. And we need to remember that. You know... As we go to our jobs this week, um, whatever you do, whatever your vocation is, there are certain things that you can do that will make you a good employee. I've been a people leader now for several years. And I used to always tell my employees that if you show up on time, if you put in the, the amount of uh, hours that you're supposed to put in every week and you do your job while you're putting those hours in, that's half the battle right there. If you do that, you 're 50 percent of the way along the way of being a good employee. And I think that's something that as Christians, we should also keep in mind. We should be on time, we should put in the time that we're being paid for in, and we should be doing our job while we do that. And we also need to understand that uh, while you know Matthew chapter five, or I'm sorry, Matthew chapter six, verse thirty-three, that we looked at this morning, is a promise to have our needs met. God doesn't just promise us that He's going to rain those the things that meet our necessities down on us with us just sitting on the couch doing anything, does He? So that promise does not mean that we don't have to work. And in fact, we read in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 11, "...whoever work his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense." We also see in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, and verse 10, it says, "...for even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat." So we see principles here that, that as um, uh, humans on this planet, God expects us to work. We mentioned this morning that if we have our priorities in the right place, God will take care of our necessities. But how does He do that? Well, He gives us skills and abilities to go out and apply ourselves in vocations that are uh, valued um, uh, skill sets that will then cause us to be hired by people who want to pay us to do those jobs. Again, it's not something that we just set back and wait for manna from heaven to fall in order to meet the necessities of our life. So even though we have this promise, it's important for us to realize that we have a part to play in that and that we're expected to work. We also need to remember that when we're at work, we represent the Lord, don't we? We're told there in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, to let our light so shine. That doesn't stop when we walk into the doors of our, of our employment. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17 says, "...and whatsoever you do in word and deed, do all in the name of Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him." When we go to work, when we're around those that we work for and work with, we're representing the Lord. We should be letting our lights shine in those, um, in those settings, and we should also be doing everything in the name of the Lord. We also see in Matthew chapter seven verse twelve. It says, "Therefore, all things whatsoever you would should uh, do that men should do to you, do ye even so to them." For this is the law and the prophets. I want you to put your boss or bosses. I want you to put yourself in their shoes, and I want you to think about how you would want an employee to act, to behave, and to work. If you were the boss. If you were the owner of the company or whatever, whatever vocation that you're doing, whoever you report to for a given job, how would you want your employee to behave in that situation? When we answer that question, that'll teach us how we should behave as an employee because that's the way you would want your employees to behave. So as Christians, let's put into our minds the better employees. Now the next point, I'm going to concentrate on the men and specifically on husbands. Because I think sometimes in the church, we have this tendency to talk about the wives being in subjection, don't we? We spend a lot of time talking about that. But as Christians, as men and husbands, we should be better husbands. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 25, says this, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church not having a spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his, his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it even as the Lord the church. So we see here that as husbands... We need to love our wives. But how are we to love them? We're to love them as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for it. Notice here that love is a verb. It's not something that we just say. It's not something that we just give lip service to. It's something that we do. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 4 says charity or love I'm going to replace in the King James the word charity there for love because it's it's the same word. love suffereth long and is kind love, env- love envieth not love vaulteth not itself is not puffed up does not be say, behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil rejoices not in iniquity but rejoices in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Love never faileth. Husbands, tonight I submit to ourselves that we should be loving our wives the way that we're taught here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. That we should be making sure that our motives are pure. That we're not just giving lip service to love, but that we're giving them the benefit of the doubt. That we're not behaving unseemly that we're not seeking our own that we're not easily provoked that we're not thinking evil and all the other things that we read there in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 sometimes it's easy to fall into a, a a trap and this is a theme probably that we'll see throughout this lesson it's easy to start thinking about self and what we want and what we think we need and Forgetting some of these principles taught here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 related to love when we feel like we're not getting our needs met. You see, as husbands, we're to lead. If your marriage is in bad shape, husbands, the buck stops with you. If you want a better marriage, be a better husband. I think that's what the message of the Bible for husbands is. In husbands, we have a responsibility to our wives. First Corinthians chapter 7, beginning in verse 3 says, Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife hath not power over her own body, but the husband. And likewise also the husband hath not power over his own body, but the wife. Defraud ye not one another, except it be with consent for a time that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again, that Satan tempt you not, for your incontinency. So we see here that we have responsibility one to another as husband and wife. And husbands, we need to lead in those responsibilities. We should be setting the example. After all, we are the head of the wife according to the Bible. And husbands, we also have a huge, huge, huge spiritual responsibility. We need to be leading our wives spiritually and help both them and us get to heaven. And this responsibility is even greater for for those husbands that are also fathers because we have the same responsibility as a father to try to help our children get to heaven as well. So as Christians, men, husbands, let us be better husbands. Also as Christians, we should be Better worshipers. If you have your Bibles, turn over with me to John chapter 4. Beginning in verse 23, it says, "...but the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth." When we worship... Are we remembering who that worship service is for? Or are we just going through the motions? Is it because we've always gone to church that we attend the worship services? Is it because our spouse or our parents make us go? You see, worship isn't about us. I'm going to quote Chris here because Chris likes to say this. Worship isn't about us. And it's not about me as an individual. And we need to keep that in mind when we come together to worship. Because I don't think we realize our souls depend on this. Our souls depend on worship. If we look at the examples of the Bible, we see that when people took liberties with worship to God, God dealt with them harshly. We know the story of Nadab and Abihu who offered strange fire unto God and were struck dead for it. Now we might look at that story and think, well, it was a small thing. They were told to use fire. They were obviously told to use what kind of fire, and they chose to use strange fire. What was the harm in that? The sacrifices were still going, the burnt offerings were still going to be burnt, but God gave a direct command on how they were to worship. And they took liberty with that. We also see Cain and Abel where Cain was not as accepted as his brother Abel because he didn't heed what God wanted in worship. So we see that God requires proper worship. That's where the truth comes in in worshiping God in spirit and in truth. We have to do it the right way. We have to do it the way that the Bible lays out. But there's another portion of that. It says spirit and in truth. So we can do it the right way and still be wrong because we have to also God also requires spirit in worship. I think a good question to ask ourselves each week as we come together to worship God is are we putting spirit into our worship? Are we worshipping As if our souls depend on it. So, are we putting into our worship what we need to? Well, let's look at each act of worship and just think about that for a minute. Take, for instance, prayer. When somebody's up here leading a prayer, are we paying attention to that prayer? Are we listening to the prayer that's being prayed? Are we praying along with the leader of the prayer? In singing, are you singing at all? And if you are singing, are you singing out? The Lord's Supper, are you keeping your mind on Jesus and His sacrifice? In giving, are you giving of your means out of a spirit of wanting to fund the work of the church to further the work of the Lord? Are you putting your priorities in the right place financially as you give? And then in preaching, are you paying attention? Are you following along in your Bibles? Are you making sure that what you're hearing is the truth? Now let's look at what the opposite of that would be. In prayer, that would be not paying attention, doing other things, playing on your phone. In singing, it would be not singing, becoming a listener instead of an active participant. In the Lord's Supper would be not giving the proper attention and reverence that it deserves. Remember, we're remembering the Lord's death when we gather around this table. We should be somber, we should be serious, we should be thankful for what He's done for us. When it comes to giving, do we just reach in into our wallets or into our pockets or into our purses and give out of the excess that we find there? Is there no planning, forethought or laying aside in our giving? When it comes to the preaching of the word, are we playing on our phone again? Are we reading the songbook? Are we sleeping? You know, it's amazing to me because I've I've often heard over the years Christians complain about a worship service being too long or being too boring. And I've thought about that over the years because, boy, we can sure sit through a multi-hour sporting event, can't we? Never complain. We can sit through a two-hour movie. We don't grow bored. We don't fall asleep. We don't lose our concentration. But then it comes to a one-hour or maybe sometimes a little over an hour worship service And we complain that we're bored, that we can't stay awake, that we can't concentrate for one hour. Where's our priority? And to go back to the point that we mentioned earlier, it's not about us. But what it is about is what we're willing to put into it. If you want a better worship service, be a better worshiper. And you know what, men? We have a responsibility here too. And that we should be willing to lead in worship. If you're a man here tonight that's not willing to lead in worship, ask yourself why. Is that something that you should be doing? Is that something you should be striving to get better at? And men that are willing to do it, are you doing it to the best of your ability? Are you putting your all into it? No matter what the act of worship you're leading in is. We should be desiring to be leaders and worship as, as Christian men. And we should be desiring to do it as, as to the best of our ability. So as Christians, let's be better worshipers. And then as Christians, let's also be better citizens. We saw earlier that we should, in everything that we do in word and deed, we should do all in the name of the Lord. And this includes we're out and about in the world. You know, I, I mentioned before that I like to, to listen to podcasts and I like to listen to podcasts. Some of them are, are, are really just sermons from um, Churches of Christ. And one of the ones that I was listening to earlier was talking about how easy it is to be a Christian on Sundays when we come together, isn't it? When we're around our, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Oh, it's easy to be a Christian then. But what about when we're out and about in the world? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. How about even we're, when we're on the road? You know, road rage has no place in the life of a Christian. And I'll warn you right now, I've got a daughter who just, who just got her uh, first... I don't know even how they do it now, drive, the, the, the driving permit or the, the first driver's license. Driving's going to make you angry. There are people out there who are inconsiderate and just don't care. And it will make you angry. But remember Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, "...Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath." It's okay to get angry, but what do you do with that anger? And I'll tell on myself here, take it from me, a reformed road rager, I used to be really angry behind the wheel. And again, it goes back to that narcissism that's so easy to fall into that that it's all about me. It's all about me. And I used to be very narcissistic behind the wheel and would take things personally. Lori likes to tell the story about how when I was behind somebody that was going too slow, that. They were doing that to slow me down specifically. And I used to uh, even do this thing where if we were coming up to my turn, I would purposely not turn my turn signal on until the last second in case they were really doing that so that they weren't going to turn the same way I was just to slow me down further. But guess what? I learned it's not about me. It isn't about me. No one on the road... Cares about me. They're trying to get to where they're going just like I am. And so when you start looking at it in in that way and realize that they're certainly not going out of their way just to impede me, that can help. So, how are we as Christians when we interact in the world? You know, Mo read for us Matthew 5.16 earlier, "...let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven." Are we letting our light shine? When we interact with other people, can they see that there's something different about us? And remember in that reading, in the verses before that, it also said we're a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hid. You know, I've often heard it said, and I believe that it's true, that if you interact with people regularly, and they can't see a difference in your life, are you really that city that sat on the hill as we read here in the words of Jesus? When we're Christ like in our dealings with others, we're going to stand out. And again, we're told to be angry and sin not. So, what does that mean? That means when we're dealing with people in the world, when they make us angry, we should keep that temper in check, shouldn't we? We need to remember that no one's out to get us. It's not about us, and we shouldn't take it personally. But more importantly, we need to make sure that we're in the world, but the world's not in us. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good an acceptable and perfect will will of God. We're not to be conformed to this world. What does that mean? Well, that means we have to be in the world, but we don't have to be like the world. We also need to remember that the world as a whole is the enemy of God. 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 15 says, Love not the world, neither are things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. Do we want to be friends with the enemy of God? Do we want to be friends with something that's described as not being of the Father? Or do we understand... That when we do His will, when we're out there letting our light shine, when we're that city that's set on the hill, guess what? The Bible tells us that the world will hate us. First John chapter 3 and verse 13 says, Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. And it seems like every year that passes, that gets worse and worse. So we're to be in the world, but we're not to be of the world. And we need to remember that even though we need to be good citizens here as part of our society, our ultimate citizenship is in heaven. That's why one of my favorite songs in our songbook is this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Because sometimes I get caught up in that trap of thinking that this world is my home. And it's not. So, as Christians, let us be better citizens. Let us be better worshipers. Men that are married, let us be better husbands. And as Christians, let us be better employees. You know, one of the points, I believe, of Let Your Light So Shine, that whole section there that Mo read from us or read for us from the Sermon on the Mount is that. We're not going to be able to change the whole world. But we have a choice every single day that we go out there in society. And that is, we can do our part to make the world a better place. We can do our part to be the best employee, best husband or wife or um, worshiper and citizen that we can be by keeping what's most important at the forefront of our mind. That remembering every single day that Jesus gave His life on the cross for us. That He suffered that cruel death. And that every time that we transgress God's law, it's as if we're picking up the nails and the hammer that nailed Him to that cross and nailing Him to that cross anew. It's a sobering thought, isn't it? I don't know about you, but when I think about His death, His sacrifice, when we're gathered around the table together, it makes me sad that He had to go through that. And that I'm just as guilty for putting Him on that cross as the men that laid Him on it and did the actual nailing of the the nails through His flesh. But when we try to be better employees, better spouses, better worshipers, and better citizens. We make the world a better place. We let our light so shine. We're that city that's set on a hill and we're doing our part to live up to that sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And so tonight, if you've never put your Lord on a baptism, I encourage you to consider it before it's everlastingly too late. And if you've already done that, but you've allowed the pollutions of this world to make you not be better in every aspect of your life, then you can make your life right with God tonight. If you're subject to this in any way, come forward now as together we stand and as we sing.